Hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 34, and chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as if they were on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. By faith, Jericho's walls fell after the people marched around them for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spices in peace. What more can I say? I could run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephiah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, brought about justice, realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped from the edge of the sword, found strength in weakness, were mighty in war, and routed foreign armies. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, face pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame, for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Until now, most of Hebrews chapter 11 has felt like walking through a hall of fame where we've been paying tributes to some of the Bible's greatest heroes, Noah, Abraham, Moses, many others. But by the time we get to this morning's scripture reading, by the time we get to the end of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, the camera shifts. It's almost like no, no longer are we walking through a hall of fame, but we're walking into this giant stadium, this massive arena, this big playing field. And we discover that the camera is focusing not on the giants of the faith, but focusing on you and focusing on me, focusing on us because, as it turns out, we are the ones on the playing field. And the author of Hebrews would invite us, players on the field, to look up and around us and to notice the stands the giant crowd, to notice some amazing figures of our spiritual ancestry, Rahab and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David and Solomon, all of those names that you heard Gray speak to you just moments ago. And Hebrews would have us know that all of those people, all of those people in the stands are cheering you on. There's nothing quite like having a cheering section. You know that as well as I do. You don't have to have been an athlete or a performer to know that when you are surrounded by people who are cheering for you, loving you, supporting you, it makes all the difference in the world, especially when times are tough. 
And the inverse is true as well, isn't it? That there is nothing more demoralizing, nothing more unsettling to your spirit than to think that you're going through life alone, that there is no one there to support you or guide you. But when you have those encouragers, when you have those people in the stands cheering you on, you feel like you can do the impossible. For those of you who are tennis fans, you know that the U.S. Open is going on right now in New York. And you may also know that one of the brightest young American tennis stars is a 15-year-old phenom named Coco Goff. She made waves last July when she defeated the great Venus Williams in Wimbledon. Well, she played her first match in the first round last Tuesday in the U.S. Open, and it didn't start well. She was playing a Russian named Anastasia Potapova, and she lost the first set 6-3. to three. In women's tennis, if you lose two sets, then you're done. And she was on the brink of being booted in the first round of the U.S. Open. But in an interview after the match, Goff said that after that first set, she looked up. She started to notice in the stands a huge crowd of people, people all over the stadium cheering her on. This is what she said to the interviewer. She said, it was because of the crowd that no matter where I was on the court, I could always hear somebody supporting me, and I'm grateful for that. So, she overcame those nerves. She overcame came all of those fears. She settled down, and she won the second set, six to two. And then she began feeding off the energy off that crowd, and so she won that final set, six to four. She won the match. She went on to the next round. She said to that interviewer, it was crazy. I was nervous going out on the court, such a big court. I wanted to win, and I was trying to calm myself down. It was the crowd that helped me because I was down and I was almost out. There's an interesting postscript to that story. I finished writing this sermon on Thursday and I woke up this morning, went to ESPN.com and found out she lost yesterday, totally undermining this opening illustration of my sermon. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Coco. You would think that for me, she would have tried a little harder, but But as it turns out, after that match, her opponent, who beat her pretty soundly, Naomi Osaka, did an amazing thing. Usually when you win a match, you're the one interviewed by the press, the only one on the court, but she invited Coco Groff to join her, and in the middle of her own victory interview, she took time to point to the crowd, invited Coco to look at all these fans. And she even pointed out Coco's parents. Do you see your parents over there? I remember, she said, that when when I was training in that facility, you were with me, and I always noticed your parents, Coco, they were cheering you on. Look at all these fans. And by the time that interview was over, there was hardly a dry eye in the stadium. When we are down... When we feel like we've lost, there is nothing quite like a cheering section, especially when it comes to the Christian faith. 
That's what we would understand about these early first century Christians, the ones who would have first heard these words from Hebrews. They were down. They were out. In many ways, they felt like Coco Groff, that they had not only lost the first set, that they had lost the tournament. They were worn out. They were tired. This is the way author Tom Long describes the audience that would have first heard the words of Hebrews. The congregation to which Hebrews is addressed is quite simply exhausted, Long writes. They are tired, not from their daily labor or from the strains of normal life. No, theirs is a fatigue of faith. They are tired of their religion, tired of trying to live the Christian life every day, tired of trying to follow Jesus in every aspect of their lives. And as a consequence of their religious fatigue, they have begun to show the familiar symptoms recognizable by almost every congregation today, irregular attendance at worship, and inattention to deeds of Christian mercy. Those first century Christians had it tough. All around them was this Roman Empire, this culture that was trying to pressure them to let go of their convictions about Jesus. And it would have been a whole lot easier for these early Hebrews to just walk away from the faith because of fatigue from their religious convictions. It would have been a whole lot easier for them to stop going to worship, stop being a part of small groups, start, stop being part of missions and service. And in fact, if we look at their lives Deep down inside, we would recognize that we resonate with those people too. Ask yourself the question, are you, are you feeling even just a little bit of faith fatigue? Then this passage is for you. Those Hebrews were tempted to let go not only of their corporate practices of worship and small group and service, they were especially tempted to let go of their private spiritual practices, the things that only they and God would know that they were doing, things like giving generously and reading Scripture and inviting other people to Jesus and, and praying daily. And if that's at all the case for you, then we have a cheering section for you. We're surrounded here by people who are on this same journey. And for the next four weeks, for this new worship series that Debbie talked about, this is designed especially for any of us who are feeling just a little bit of faith fatigue. It's called Get a Grip. And that, that word grip is an acronym for those four spiritual practices that we are tempted to let go of. Each of these four Sundays, we're going to look at each of these four practices of giving generously, reading Scripture, inviting others to Jesus, and praying regularly. And you will receive practical advice and a great deal of encouragement for you to not let go of those things that you know God wants you to do. If you need a cheering section in your faith, then don't miss a Sunday in the month of September so that we can learn to get a grip together. That's why Hebrews 11 ends the way it does. That's, the, that's why Hebrews 12 begins the way it does, with a reminder that no matter how hard your life is, and no matter how fatigued by the faith you might be, just look up 
Just look in the stands. Look around you and see that you are surrounded by cheering fans, by a a great cloud of witnesses that are encouraging you to run the race of spiritual practices, letting go of all the baggage that might keep you back and keep your focus fixed on Jesus. You know, we started this series with a reference to Leroy Selman, one of my all-time favorite buccaneers who was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1995. I, I read his induction speech one last time this past week. You know what Leroy did in his speech? He thanked people, a whole bunch of people, for helping him get to where he was. By my count, he named 40 individuals in his speech alone, listing them by name, many of them who were still alive, who got to hear Leroy thank them personally. And you know the question that I have for you and for me? If someone were to induct you into the hall of faith, who would you thank in your speech? Who would be among that crowd of cheering fans that you would want to thank for all of their influence and formative acts that have made you who you are in the faith, the people who cheered you on and lifted you up when you were down and encouraged you to go one more step in life and to not let go of the faith, who are the ones who have been most influential for you, keeping you going in your spiritual practices? I know who I would thank. I'd probably begin with my clergy covenant group. There are eight other guys, eight other ministers who serve in Methodist churches all around Florida. And we have established for each other a wonderful cheering section. We text each other almost every day. We have a practice of 6.30 every Sunday morning, texting prayers for each other for the services that lie ahead. We support each other when, when one of us is down. We encourage each other. We've been texting each other like crazy all throughout the last three days for those clergy and those communities along the east coast of Florida. Every once in a while we get together, especially for beautiful moments like this when one of our children gets married. I'd probably also thank the staff of this church. I would definitely thank many of you for your encouragement for me and the other clergy. I have to tell you, you are so kind to send me unexpected words of encouragement just at the time that I need it. Those things are like fuel and energy, especially when times are tough for me. I thank my daughters. I thank my family. I thank lots of other people. But here's the question, who would you thank? for the faithfulness that you have in your life. Well, I can't let the summer conclude without one more reference to Mr. Rogers. I preached on him back in July. He was honored in 1997 by the Academy of Arts and Sciences with a Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award. What you're about to see on video is an actor named Tim Robbins who introduced him that night followed by Mr. Rogers himself giving one of the most amazing acceptance speeches that I've ever heard. Ladies and gentlemen, the best neighbor any of us has ever had, Fred Rogers.
for giving generation upon generation of children confidence in themselves, for being their friend, for telling them again and again and again that they are special and that they have worth. It is my honor on behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award. It's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. And just like Coco Groff yesterday, by the time the acknowledgement of the cheering section was over, there wasn't a dry eye in the auditorium that night. You know, whatever your Labor Day plans are in the next day or so, whether you're working or resting or playing or most certainly praying for those affected by the storms, take 10 seconds, take at least 10 seconds to acknowledge your cheering section, to take a moment to give thanks for all of those people who support you and love you when you feel like you are more than just a few sets down. And then take it one step further. Think for yourself about the people who count on you, the people that consider you to be part of their cheering section. Take a moment, take several moments to encourage them, to affirm them, a text message, an email, or better yet, a phone call or, or a personal visit to let them know that whatever they're going through, no matter how tough their times are, they are not alone that you are with them. And in a few moments, we're going to come together to celebrate a sacrament that reminds us of the communion of saints. When we gather together around this table and feast together on the bread and the cup, we remember that we are surrounded by a giant 
cheering section, by a great cloud of witnesses, by a stadium of saints that remind us that no matter what we go through, we're never alone. Let's pray together. God, for many of us, this is exactly the reminder that we need right in this moment. We tend to forget that you have given us so many gifts of others to surround us in times like these. And you have called us by your example to be an encourager for others. Help us to walk alongside those who feel alone. And in these coming days, when we see the brutal devastation that a storm can do, when we live in the wake of yet another act of gun violence, help us to be for each other what many have been for us, a companion, a friend, someone who by our actions and our empathy can walk journeys with others. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for surrounding us with the faithful, for never leaving us alone. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let all God's people say, amen. And so in preparation for Holy Communion and as an act of commitment to Jesus, we invite you to offer the fullness of your hearts, your time, your energy, and your financial gifts as we invite the ushers to come forward.